0: Take your, take off your um, glasses and apologize to us.
1: I'll say sorry, but I'm not taking on my glasses. I understand nothing. Well, well I said it with all due respect. But that doesn't mean you get to say whatever you want to say to me. I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. The double champ does what the he wants! I'm a <laughs> I don't take these comments personally. Hello and welcome to Don't Take This Personally. Today is Friday, January 20th, and it is Inauguration Day. Uh, Today we're excited to have on a comedian and political activist, Jimmy Tingle. Jimmy is a national comic with local roots right here in Cambridge. His career has brought him from HBO all the way to 60 Minutes. He's been on The Tonight Show, and now, thanks to Trump, he's on our show. Uh, His newest project (laughs) is called Humor for Humanity. And he's here to tell us a little bit about his upcoming show on February 4th in the Sanders Theater on the Harvard campus. Jimmy, we're so excited to have you here.
2: I am so excited to be on the third floor of a triple decker in Somerville (laughs) on number two. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> entertainment capital of western, eastern Massachusetts.
1: <laughs> well, see, well, now everyone knows our address, so we're going to get swamped. <laughs>
0: that's,
2: okay. Yeah, that's okay. you need that. You need the fans. They're
1: going to drain our swamp. That's right.
0: That's
2: <laughs> exactly. right, man. So it's great to be here. Thank you guys for having me on the show. And the purpose of the show on February 4th, the name of the show is Humor for Humanity, Jimmy Tingle in the Age of Trump. And what we're going to be doing is social and political humor. And there's also going to be a non uh, revenue-sharing component to the to the show, which is exciting for me. Because I've been doing comedy, as you know, for I've been doing it for three decades now. I started here in the Boston area, and I've done television and national TV and different things. But I've always wanted to try to use entertainment for purposes beyond just entertainment. So the show at the Sanders Theater is we're par- partnering with 20 area nonprofits, And one of our favorites, of course, is the Grolier Poetry Bookshop, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Right in Harvard Square.
2: Grolier Poetry (laughs) Bookshop. And when somebody goes to my website or they go to the Grolier website, Grolier, G-R-O-L-I-E-R, Grolier website, they put in the code Grolier when they buy a ticket to the Tingle Show on February 4th at Sanders Theater. We give them $10. Drum roll please. <laughs> <laughs> Ding. Truck $10 to Grolier. If 100 people go they get What's that? hundred times ten, a thousand
1: dollars. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a nonprofit bookshop, yeah. so we're we're so glad that uh, you know you're yep. giving part of it. We we really want uh, you to talk about kind of uh, what is humor for humanity. Maybe tell the person that doesn't know about
2: it. Sure. Well, it just started. It I, five years ago. I went back to school. I went to the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard, got a master's degree in public administration. And the whole time I was there, by the way, the great thing about going back to school in your fifties, you get the student ID and the senior discount.
0: So it's an awesome. <laughs> That's it's right. an awesome thing That's right
2: okay you straddle two <laughs> worlds when you go back to school but anyway the great thing about it was all these people from all over the world are there and they're all involved in public policy and their mayors and their city council people in their aspiring governors or aspiring presidents or they're people from industry from the for-profit world from the non-profit world they're all trying to improve society so when I was there I, I was a comic, and I didn't really have—I uh, didn't really have like a public policy mission per se, except my satire in the in the vein of John Stewart or Colbert or Bill Maher, you know, people who yep. do that. You know, naturally, that's what they do for a living. That's what I did. That's what I've been doing for a living. But I said, if I could figure out a way, I would love to figure out a way to use entertainment, to use political satire and humor for purposes beyond just the entertainment value. So that's why I came up with the idea of humor for humanity. Our mission statement as it stands of tonight is... Humor for humanity, more than entertainment, raising spirits, funds, and awareness for nonprofits, charities, and social causes. Our mission is your mission. Humor for humanity. Humor in helping. Humor
1: in healing. Humor and
2: hope. Ha ha
1: ha! <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's yeah fantastic. We, we uh, we we really like to think we're doing the same thing. We're uniting a lot of people on the "Don't Take This Personally" podcast. You've united uh, me. Yeah, you brought us
2: three together. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we're uh, you know we're into the goal. We're really into it. What do you see it going in the next five years?
2: Uh, human for humanity, yeah. Or oh, in general, um, well. This show with the Sanders will be the latest round of experiments with it. See, how can it really work? If people go, will people go to the show? Will they use the code Grolier or, or any of the other nonprofits that we're working with? Will they use the code and will it be worth, the, will it be worth their while? Will it be worth our while? Can we make a significant impact? I mean, the small poetry bookshop, if they raise a couple hundred bucks, that's really good for them you know? And so that's good for us because we're expanding our base and fulfilling our mission, and it's good for them. And if they raise more money, that's great. The more independent little bookstores we can keep open, the better. And in terms of the other nonprofits, I think eventually it could it could catch on. I'd like to do, I'd like to elaborate on my podcast that I'm doing, Humor for Humanity podcast, make it uh better than it is. Maybe I could have you... Ca- you guys strategize with me how to <laughs> how to bring it to the next level. Right now, we're in the basement in Brighton. I'd like to bring it to the
0: third floor in Somerville. Oh, you can... And I'm saying, how do we do
2: that? <laughs> how do we transition? How do we scale up?
0: Well, believe us. We have the uh, we have a very good viewpoint as uh, young people, and we understand all the new media, you know? So okay. I think we got a great perspective on yeah. it here.
2: Okay. Well, that would be really helpful, and I'd love to work with you guys. So anyway, so where I see it going, I see it ideally... Uh, Getting more partners, more nonprofit partners, expanding on our audience, and maybe becoming the go-to entertainment vehicle
0: for nonprofits when they want to do fundraising.
1: Well, that's perfect because we're nonprofit right now—not <laughs> by choice, but we are nonprofit.
0: <laughs> I mean, you know, we could register in any way when we decide to register. <laughs> we could be a non That's right. Exactly. Let's do
2: a fundraiser for Don't Take This Personally. <laughs> the code is DON'T. <laughs> Put in DON'T when you go to the website, and they will get
1: $10, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we're holding you to that. <laughs> so, Jimmy, there are, there are rumors that when you started your comedy career uh, that you were out on the streets in, mm-hmm. in Harvard just telling jokes. How did that work for you? I
2: did street performing. I, I loved it. I was not trained in theater or... The arts really, um, you know. So when I found stand up comedy, it was a, there there was no barrier to entry. It was an open mic night. It was anybody could sign up. My friend Lenny Clark from high school was hosting the show down at the Ding Ho in Emin Square, Cambridge. It was a Chinese restaurant. It was an, it was
1: really, it's always a Chinese restaurant. Yeah, yeah. There was no, (laughs) there was
2: no scene really. There were no, it wasn't show business really. It was just, you know, kind of regular people making stuff up on stage. And a lot of college kids from Emerson and Dennis Leary and and Stephen Wright were there and those guys and uh, Paula Poundstone and, and Barry Crimmins and Lenny Clark. And so it was just all kids in their 20s, really, just kind of making things up. So I went to the open mic. I had some song parodies, and I did it. But the show the open mics were only once a week. It was Wednesday nights was Lenny Clark and I think on Tuesdays they had one at the Comedy Connection but for the rest of the week you had all the, I had all this material and all this energy but no place to perform. So I'd go out to the subways there in Harvard Square, put the hat down, you know, and do my act, right? And, so
1: you did bits for people yeah. walking around in the subway. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in my life.
2: It was great and I have to tell <laughs> you, uh, you know, and by the way, there was a fine line between street performance and simply being drunk in public too. I had, <laughs> Admit that. But anyway. We
1: flirt that on this show yeah. all the time.
2: Yeah. <laughs> But I would, I would be out there. But I was so driven by the passion of, you know, have you ever, like, written a song or a poem or anything? I used to start do, uh, poetry. I tried doing poetry. My my poetry was very, very blue. But anyway, but it was just so cool to create something and then say it to a bunch of strangers and get a reaction. Some You know, not always great reaction, especially when you first start, but at least it was a reaction, and it just was a great, great release, and I loved doing it. So I performed... Out there, and I did all the open mic nights and all the gong shows every place. And when I first started, people thought I was kind of crazy. I wore a trench coat. Oh, I, had a, I was I mean, trying if, to be like a blues brother. If I know?
0: see a guy on the tre- with a trench coat in the subway, I'm feeling weird too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: right. You should feel
0: weird. So I had a trench coat. I had shades, right? Sunglasses. Oh, I, had like hat,
2: I had a felt hat. blues brothers. Yeah. I had a beard, and I was playing the harmonica. My songs were like, uh, "I'm a test tube baby. That's why I got the blues. Was a man-made mutation, scientifically abused. Was the miracle of the laboratory <laughs> how come i never made 60 minutes or even the news <laughs> <laughs> oh, i play man. a little harmonica and oh, so man. P- it was pretty wild you know <laughs> and it was gong show material and i would go to the idler i don't know you don't remember that but there was a little folk club in cambridge and it was a lot of it, you know i would just go any place that they'd let you on and i and i loved it and one time and like i said it was kind of blue it was very raw but it was uh, my attempt at trying to do something creative and one time i was up there in harvard square and a woman came up to me very professorial type woman and she said to me i think what you do is very interesting i don't think you should subject everybody to
1: it
0: And she was correct. Yeah. That's a very nice way of putting it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so is this where... I, you're one of the few uh, comics that I've ever seen on TV that wasn't using a microphone. Is this where it comes from? Not using a mic? Yeah. You're very, very expressive with your hands when you're telling stories.
2: Yeah. Um... I, I think I got into that. Well, yeah, probably. I'm a half Italian, too. That's probably <laughs> one of the biggest reasons. But when I, yeah, of course, when you're street performing, there's no mic or anything like that. And I didn't do it every day for years, but I did it a lot, you know, and I liked it. And a lot of times you, you just get asked to move, too, you know, because like, it wasn't, it was borderline, you know, uh, <laughs> it was borderline, you um,
1: Illegal, illegal. I think that's the right word. It was
2: borderline illegal. I had no permit or anything, or yeah. no microphone, no stage. It's just guys. You it make di- good money. No, <laughs> no. It's all about the art. Sometimes, like when I did it, like when I went out to UMass Amherst, I had a couple of friends out there at UMass Amherst, and I would, I would go, I would. Say okay, there's a line waiting to get in to see the concert. So I would work the line, no, and I do wouldn't. my stuff, and wow. then then you could make some dollars. You know, you oh, can make nice. a few bucks. Yeah? And when I went to Ireland, I went to my friend Pat Ryan, and I we went around Europe in the, like early, in 1980, and we I did street performing. And I would do the songs over there and put the hat down. And over there, they took you much more seriously. The Latin Quarter in Paris, you know, because you were a busker quote a busker here I you were for it. here you were borderline mental patient but (laughs) over there you were a busker i'm a street performer so i didn't make a lot of money on it but i had fun and it was a blast doing it and it just you got the, the you got to memorize the songs and And got to, you know, you worked in your stage presence, not really knowing that's what you were doing, but that's what you were doing. So the reason I work without a mic uh, now, I work with a lavalier mic usually. Yeah. And uh, like at Sanders Theater, I got into that when I started doing the one-man shows, the theater shows. Great thing about a theater is that you can... You don't have to have a joke every fifteen seconds. It's not a comedy club. They're not p- pushing drinks. You can just be you can have peaks and valleys in your yeah. shows. You can be serious. You can be funny, you can be topical, you can be more hard hitting, you can be you know, there can be different different themes in the show. That's why I gravitated towards theater.
1: Yeah, and that's that's much more your style too, after yeah. and we got to see you at the Lilypad on Tuesday and mm-hmm. uh, what was your uh, <laughs> your joke about that? Comedy without the... Uh...
2: Comedy without the laughter. <laughs> Most comedians, you go to see them, they're hilarious every 15 seconds. Bang, 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 laugh, laugh, laugh. Not me. The Tingle Show, there's peaks and there's valleys. It's a new genre in entertainment. Comedy without the laughter. <laughs> and I'm getting really good at it. I loved it. It was
1: part It was part comedy show, part political rally.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It was inspiring. You, oh, you oh, do good. a good job of getting people fired up about things.
2: Well, thank you. You know... Um, you know we're at a point in this in the country that a lot of issues are on a lot of people's minds, and nobody really knows what's going to happen with uh, the new president, President Trump. and uh, it could work out really well for everybody, and it could be crazy and nobody really knows. So there's this whole there's this whole future before us where it's sort of uncharted ter- territory in a certain on a certain level,
1: yeah, I totally agree. What do you uh, <laughs> what do you think about uh, what's going on in the world right now? what's your What's your take on uh, on today, later today, the inauguration?
2: Well, again, he's, <laughs> you know, he's a different, he's a different president, he's a different character. I can't believe he got elected. Uh, most, a lot of people can't believe it. And if he delivers, I think people will feel more at ease if he actually starts to deliver things. You know, if he delivers things that are detrimental to people, I think there's going to be a lot of buyer's remorse. For example, if they repeal Obamacare and don't have something to replace it, and all of a sudden you have insurance and then you don't have insurance, that's not going to help anybody. You know, so I think they, there could be a lot of buyer's remorse. If he starts screwing up international relations and pissing off our allies and, you know, people who knows what could happen in terms of trade and come into this country and imports and exports, and if the economy starts, you know doing worse uh, people aren't going to be happy so who knows what's going to happen he's talking about huge tax cuts for corporations that could be good for corporations they might love that that might you know in uh, usher in a whole series of spending and investment and all this and that could be very beneficial but at the same time we could be trillions of dollars more in debt because we don't have that money coming into the into the treasury so I don't know what's going to happen. I, w- I don't think anybody really does. I don't think he does. I think he's the most no. surprised
0: person in the world he definitely <laughs> that he's <doesn't>. actually president. <laughs> yeah, it's like you said. He's uh, he's been on every both sides of every issue, so you really yeah. don't know where he's going to go. You know, he, right. uh, he could come out with a single payer system. That's right. He he's even said I think in the news like recently that he's like it's it's an interesting system, and he said he's liked parts of Obamacare, but we really have no
1: idea what's going to happen.
2: I agree, and his
1: it's, uh, com- it's good for it's good for comedians, especially well, satires. You know, you
2: know what it's good for? <laughs> yeah, I would say that it is. But it's also it's also shaken the intellectual community up because they don't know either, and all these really smart people, the pundits, and they were all wrong about the election. They were all wrong, myself included. So in that respect, it's just this completely different thing there could be a, a complete disaster or who knows it could be it could unfold in a, a much more uh you know progressive way than we even imagined and that would be a huge surprise to everybody
1: i i've found it's been one of the weirdest social experiments of my life because people i feel like are so empowered with a president that says what they what he's thinking yeah. that they're all starting to say what they're thinking i was i was literally sitting in my bed, in in the corner of my room, and I'm on an intersection, and uh, I was woken up to a guy fighting a man in a car, yelling <laughs> Donald Trump the whole time. <laughs> really? I swear. Yeah, I woke Tro-a-con. up. Pro or con? I have no idea. He was just yelling the <laughs> name. That's what I mean. It's, it could it's, have been anything. It could, <laughs>
2: right? You know. And so,
1: and how do you how do you how do you so you say you're friends with Lenny Clark, right? Yep. Yeah. He. Um. I saw him at Giggles a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. That is a man that has very very different. Opinions than you do,
2: yeah, yeah. Lenny's really conservative. Yeah. He's, um you know, we, we kind of grew up together in the same neighborhood, went to the same high school. We just have different opinions and stuff. We're friends, you know. Uh, I always, uh, I tell Lenny, I love you, man, but you and I are on the different side. And he said the same thing to me. He, goes, he was, doing- fuck you, you're a loser. Hillary <laughs> lost, fuck you. You know, that's he was how- doing
1: his Devil Patrick bit. Yeah, what I saw. Oh man, <laughs> every yeah. five minutes, Devil Patrick.
2: I know, I know, and. <laughs> And I have to say, you know, the great thing about the country is, and the great thing about comedy, there's room for everybody, and that's that's very cool. And at least people, and this is one of the things about the Trump voters, at least there's a legal and a legitimate vehicle for their, you know, angst and opinions and uh, frustrations. Because in a lot of countries, if you're not in line with the status quo, you're you're crushed, you're you're jailed, yeah. you know, you're 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 blackballed, you're you know. Um, you're shut down uh some places you you're literally killed for your for your opposition so I mean in this country the guys tapped into a a, a vein in our country that, and some, some people say it's it's ugly. I would say there's ver, there's lots of variety in that vein. There's really good people and really smart yeah. people who are supporting Trump because they believe in the conservative agenda. They believe in less government, lower taxes, free market solutions, right? And that's their whole thing. And at the same time, all these, you know, really conservative uh, religious groups are completely into it. I never understood the evangelical Christians going for Trump, <laughs> but their issue is life, the pro-life thing. Yeah. And that's their one issue. And the gun people, they're the same people the pro life and the pro gun people are the same people but that those are their issues and i think the 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 worst thing would be to suppress people's points of view and suppress their political aspirations so they have a a a vehicle in this gentleman's we'll see what happens
1: it's really true and
0: i don't believe that he believes everything he said either
1: yeah I don't, I don't even know if he knows everything he said.
0: <laughs> no, no. If you remember during the debates, I never said that. He said yeah. he, That was his thing. I never said that.
2: Well, <laughs> the other thing is he's not tethered to the truth. And that makes it a very interesting administration. Yeah. Most exactly. people are held to, accountable for what they've said. Most candidates, most political leaders are held accountable for what they've said. and the For media- most people,
1: there's an expectation that they'll be held accountable. Yeah. There's not even an expectation no, for this guy. No, there
2: isn't. And he's completely broken the rules when it comes to the media. He mm-hmm. tells the media how much he hates them. Yeah. Nobody tells the media how much they hate them. <laughs> I hate Especially the media. Especially a man that's
1: benefited so much from the media.
2: He got $2 billion worth of free advertisement. It's insane. Yeah. And that's the that's the irony about the, our system. I think it was Les Moonves for CBS, the president of CBS, who said, Donald Trump, bad for America, good for CBS. Yeah. Because they gave him a ton of free time and um you know he's marketing gold with with a lot of these shows and he went on all, all these shows so that's our system our system is really free enterprise and and capitalism whatever's good for the bottom line is gets the most attention in in the in the media and he's been good for the bottom line for all those all those news organizations
0: yeah it's funny that he always calls out media organizations for being failing or being overrated or something like that when at the same time his like Stories are like giving them so much press, because if somebody writes a bad article about them, it gets so much attention.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I said the other night on stage about that survey that was done with the article that was in The New York Times about a PolitiFact did a fact checking of the top 20 uh, political figures in America. And they categorized their public statements over the last seven years as being true, mostly true, half true. Uh, mostly false and completely false. And Donald Trump, 76% of his statements as of February of 2016 were false or mostly false. Uh, He would say that Hillary is crooked Hillary. She's a liar. 28% of her statements were false or mostly false. Bernie Sanders, 28% were false or mostly false. Three times as many statements from Donald Trump were false or mostly false. So he's got this ingenious way of attacking people and organizations for things that he's guilty of.
1: Mm -hmm. Do you know what I
2: mean? And it's really, it's like, Orwellian in that in that respect.
1: He doesn't have the normal um, I shouldn't go there kind of like when I mess up, mm. I don't go to the area I mess up when I blame someone else. Like, he, like when he got caught with that um, Access Hollywood tape, he immediately brought in all of those women from Clinton's past. Yeah. It was like whenever he got caught doing something, he pointed it out. I mean, look yeah. at Ted Cruz is running against him and he calls him lying Ted.
2: Yeah. And he said, Ted Cruz's father could have been involved with the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> He'll say anything. It's crazy. That's yep. the crazy thing. That's the crazy yeah. thing. He and so it's, it's really scary. theories to the mainstream.
0: You know? Pardon me? He brought conspiracy theories to the mainstream.
2: Yeah. And now fake news is, he's calling CNN fake news. And this is a guy who ran around the country saying Obama was born in Kenya for five years.
0: Yep. The definition of fake news. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the <Exactly>. origin. <laughs> well, <laughs> Donald Trump, if you think about it, invented it and then he's brought it to the absolute like popular like media. That that's that's exactly true.
2: And and it was deliberate too. It's not just a mistake, you know, it's it's deliberately insinuating people might not be legitimate. Like well Obama might not have been born in this country. He might be a Muslim. He you know, I'm not saying he is. He would say uh, I'm not saying he is. I'm just saying a lot of people are saying he could be, you know. And <laughs> yeah. And these
0: idiot That's news his favorite or? move. A lot of people. A lot of yeah. people are saying, hear it From other people. The second you crowdsource an opinion, suddenly it becomes more true. Right. Yeah. I've had a lot of very like knowledgeable sources tell me something's true. Right. Sudden, suddenly it's credible. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I saw. Uh, I went to the rally the
2: other day at at um, Faneuil <laughs> Hall, and Congressman Jim McGovern was talking about uh, <clears throat> Trump's you know, healthcare proposal if they repeal Obamacare, what's it gonna be like? And he was quoting what Trump told one of the newscasters and the woman (laughs) asked him, uh, what's it gonna be like? He said, it's gonna be unbelievable. Well, could you elaborate? You're gonna love it. <laughs> so, I'm paraphrasing.
0: Hey, it he gives uh, the people know.
1: what they want. No yeah. one wants to deal. With it. That's the that's the issue with politics. For a thousand years, it's been incredibly boring, and we finally had a really interesting candidate. And yeah. You you and I feel very similarly about him, but at the same time, we can't look away. It's a, it's a car accident.
2: Yeah, you can't look away, <laughs> and you know I just hope there's enough checks and balances yeah. in in the government, and there's enough people who are committed to the principles of this country that he can't do anything that you know crosses his mind uh you know when he talks about deporting people and banning people and you know uh new round of nuclear weapons and we you know attacking you know bombing the hell out of this one and bombing yeah. the hell out of that one uh I just hope there's enough checks and balances and it's going to have to come from the republican party there's a lot of good people in the republican party and they gotta you know step up and especially with this relationship with russia and putin yeah. and you know and 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 uh and and stick up for what the the this country stands for
1: yeah yeah, absolutely. But on a, uh, a much less serious note, yep. we know you don't have much time tonight. Yep. Uh, you got a show later. But we wanted to uh, we wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about kind of the history of Boston comedy. And you know, we're sure. pretty locally based um, podcast at the moment. So we'd love to hear about, you know, you growing up in Boston, the comedy you're doing, the people you were working with, your experience there. If sure. You want to talk about that.
2: Sure. Well, when I started, um, Lenny was the uh, host of the open mic night at the Ding Ho on Wednesday nights, and I knew him from high school, and uh, I said, Lenny, you know, and I had experimented a little bit playing harmonica and writing song parodies and things like that, and I had gone down to Dangerfield's Comedy Club in New York and saw uh, a show there. And I loved it. And the opening act, this guy, Dennis Blair, who's still out there, uh, was playing guitar and doing song parodies. I said, that's something I can do. I don't really know how to write jokes, but I can do a song parody. So I I wrote the Test 2 Baby Blues, Thank God I'm a City Boy, Thank God I'm a Burbite, the the hits, (laughs) (laughs) the the Poopa Scoopa Blues, right? (laughs) And so I started performing them at Lenny's Open Mic Night, and this was like an 80. And at that time, uh, Dennis Leary and Stephen Wright and Bobby Goldthwaite and Jack Gallagher and... uh, Barry Crummins was running the ding at that time he was the booker and he was the producer of the show and he founded the Ding-Ho and it was just all these people coming out of the woodwork who were t- giving stand-up comedy a shot and they thought that they could do it and it wasn't really a popular medium. It was always on The Tonight Show. Johnny Carson The Tonight Show was the only show on. Saturday Night Live was on but it wasn't really focused on stand-ups. Letterman wasn't even on the air yet. There was no HBO. There was no Comedy Central and there was one main show and that was Johnny Carson and, St- and Johnny Carson the Peter LaSalle from the Tonight Show, the comedy booker from the Tonight Show, came to the Ding Ho. His <laughs> daughter was going to Emerson, I think in 83, 82 or eighty three, his daughter was going to Emerson. He read an article in the LA Times about the ding about the Boston comedy scene with all these Irish Catholics comics. <laughs> and so he was interested in seeing them, and he came to the ding and he saw Stephen Wright, and I, I was actually working the bar. I was the daytime bartender and maintenance man there. So Peter LaSalle calls up. He wants directions from Emerson, so I give him directions to come there. Anyway, to come
1: see you perform.
2: Not to come see me. I was an open micer at the time. Oh, I really? Wasn't, I, but I remember that night distinctly because the top ten comics in Boston, kremens Gallagher, Wright, Clark, uh, Sweeney, they all got to do five minutes for Peter Lasalli, Yeah. And I got their gigs that they couldn't do this. So I was booked in New Haven that night. So I remember it very well. I got a hundred bucks. That's trickle-down
1: gonna... <laughs> trickled economics right there, That's if right. I've ever seen <laughs> it. That's right.
2: But anyway, Peter Lasalle comes and sees Steve Wright and is blown away. And two days later, he puts Steve Wright on The Tonight Show wow. with Johnny Carson. And two nights, the next night, I think it was the next night, he asked him back, which was unheard of. So Steve Wright did The Tonight Show two times in the same week, sat on the couch both times with Johnny Carson, and he was going from Emmons Square in Cambridge on Springfield Street to The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. That not only changed Steve Wright's career, but because that was the only show, really, that focused on stand-ups at that time, or the the, the premiere one, it changed Steve Wright's career. It changed the Boston comedy scene because all of a sudden, Boston was on the map as a city that featured comics and had a comedy scene. And Jay Leno was from here. He was a couple of years ahead of all of us, and he also went to Emerson, and he was out there working the road. But when Leno was here, he didn't have the luxury of working comedy clubs. He worked the naked eye strip joint in, in the combat zone. He worked Paul Mall's <laughs> jazz club. He worked places like that, because yeah. there was there was a place called Lenny's on the Turnpike that was a music place, but there was no comedy clubs. There was one comedy club in New York that was uh, I think uh, either catch or uh, there were two, the catch horizon star and the improv. Yeah. And that's where Seinfeld and, and uh, David Brenner and, this is before
1: like the improv or, Yeah, and
2: yeah. Letterman. And, and, and then there was the comedy store in LA and that's where Letterman worked the door out there and Leno would go out there and, you know, but it was a very small scene. It wasn't like it is now. So anyway, so that's really how it started. And we all kind of became friends. And then, People went different directions, and the people who really had an education in it, I I think, kind of did better quicker than the people who didn't. Like, Dennis Leary knew what he was doing. He went to Emerson. Steve Wright knew what he was doing. And I think it was a a little bit harder for people like, uh, you know, myself or other people who didn't really study that in college, you know, the arts or entertainment in college so it was a little bit tr- trickier i think for us or at least for, i can speak for myself for me because like i said i was up in harvard square doing my <laughs> trench coat act <laughs> you know i wasn't at emerson in a lecture yeah, but
1: there, there are very <laughs> few people that uh that had the the balls to really do what you were doing though
2: not that many people were off their rocker <laughs> to the same extent <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, but over. um,
2: your podcast is going to do great, man. I can tell. I love the name.
1: No, we're we're having a I love lot of fun the name. with it. You must love Thank it, you. right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's a good time. How, we couldn't now, believe we got it. <laughs> yeah. Now, how do you tell
2: people about it? How do you push it out there?
1: Um, we're we actually just started up on um, Facebook last night. Uh, we've been doing a lot of word of mouth right now, mm-hmm. just telling friends. Um, we, you know, we're looking for different. How many ways. episodes have you done? This is episode fourteen.
2: Fourteen. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So we've have been... you? Are they all comics that you interview?
1: Um, we bring on comics We bring on um, friends, um, some Mm -hmm. people with political affiliations. You know, a couple people that we have to keep their identities hidden from the public. (laughs) Okay.
2: Well, one of the reasons I'm doing the humor for humanity, and this gets back to your original question, is because regardless of what happens with Donald Trump. right and the next administration the organizations that i'm working with you know the irish international immigrant center the uh, harvard square business association where proceeds from that's going to two homeless shelters in harvard square uh the women's empowerment groups the uh environmental groups the the the, the grolier poetry bookshop all these organizations and people are still going to have to function, regardless of what happens with the next administration. So as much as people are nervous about what's happening out in Washington, I'm trying to say, you know what, even I still got to go to work. I got to write jokes. I got to perform. I got to work on my own career, my own point of view around things. And all these organizations are going to be working to help in their communities, what they're doing. So the good thing is that we can do whatever we want to do in this country on a local level and still make a difference. And so Absolutely. that's what I'm, that's where I'm coming from, you know, and like what you guys doing your own media and your own podcast is awesome. You know, you're taking the bull by the horns and you're just going out and doing it. And that's the way people got to do it. That's how, that's the only way I ever got any place in this business. I'm not kidding you, man. I, I used to just do the street performing and the open mic nights and, i did I rented out the Hasty Pudding theater twenty years ago and put myself in it, you know because <laughs> they would never put me in it because I wasn't famous, but I did it, and I did the one man show there, and it brought in an entirely different audience. It brought in theater people, Harvard people who were going to a real theater to see me, and so I got to do my show in with this 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 arena that. I normally would not be in um, if I just waited for the phone to ring. So I commend you guys for doing what you're doing with the podcast. I think it's going to go great. I wish you the best of luck, and you can send all the people in the world that you want to JimmyTingle.com.
1: <laughs> we'll be pushing it. Hey, we thank you. Will. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for being on. Congratulations. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Thank you very much.
1: Yeah.
2: I'm out of here. I can't <laughs> spend all night in the triple decker. I got places <laughs> to go. I got to go to the South Shore <laughs> and spread spread happiness. <laughs>
0: All right, excellent. That was awesome.
1: And just remember, Jimmy Tingle, our guest today, is performing at the Sanders Theater in Harvard Square at 8 p.m. on February 4th. Mark your calendars. This event is not to be missed. I use the code Grolier, that's G-R-O-L-I-E-R, and support the oldest poetry bookshop in the U.S. $10 of each ticket bought using the code Grolier will be donated directly to the Grolier Poetry Bookshop. Since 1927, the Grolier has been a staple at Harvard Square in the community, stocking over 15,000 volumes of poetry and hosting a lively reading series every season. Let's help them grow. Support comedy, support humor for humanity, support poetry, and support your local community. Find tickets at boxoffice.harvard.edu. And remember to use the code GROLIER, G-R-O-L-I-E-R, at checkout. Follow the GROLIER on Twitter at GROLIER underscore poetry. Visit their site at grolierpoetrybookshop.org and visit their shop in Harvard Square.
0: All right, we are back, and it is another episode of Don't Take This Personally. Hope you guys enjoyed our interview with Jimmy Tingle. If you want to find more about Jimmy Tingle, go to
1: jimmytingle.com. <laughs> and that is the last of any advertisements we're doing.
0: We apologize in advance, guys. <laughs> also, 1-800-Flowers, uh, the code DON'T.
1: A- <laughs> <Me> undies uh, <laughs> don't wear them. That's the code.
0: The code is DON'T BUY THESE. <laughs> All right, so obviously, let's move on to the headlines today. Uh Biggest news, Trump's inauguration. Uh, One thing that we wanted to bring up right off the bat, our first topic, uh, Donald Trump inauguration TV listing goes viral, and this is in Scotland. So a Scottish newspaper's TV listing of President-elect Donald Trump's inauguration has caught people's attention in both the UK and the US. And I'm going to read it for you guys. I think it's pretty hilarious.
1: This is straight from the BBC.
0: President Trump, the inauguration, 4 4 (laughs) p.m., BBC One. After a log absence, the Twilight Zone returns with one of the most ambitious, expensive, and controversial productions in broadcast history. Sci-fi writers have dabbled often with alternative history stories. Among the most common is, what if the Nazis had won the Second World War? But this huge interactive virtual reality project, which will unfold on TV, in the press, and on Twitter over the next four years, sets out to build an ongoing alternative present. The story begins in a nightmarish version of twenty seventeen in which huge sections of the US electorate have somehow been duped into voting for to make Donald Trump president. <laughs> it sounds far-fetched, and it is, but as it goes on, it becomes more and more chillingly plausible. <laughs> Today's feature-length opener concentrates on the gaudy inauguration of President Trump and the stirrings of protest and despair surrounding the ceremony.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love that this is in Scotland because right after Brexit happened, uh, maybe like a day or two afterwards, uh, Trump was there commending the Scottish for voting for Brexit, and the Scottish had actually voted entirely against Brexit. It was the uh, British. Oh, yeah, I remember this. Yeah, and it was like a big, big faux pas. So I like that the Scots are taking their shots now.
0: Well, I mean, I think everybody in Europe seems to dislike Trump. I mean,
1: even the Brexit voters probably were like, this guy's insane. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. That's like a, a, so that was an actual TV listing that wasn't... Um, it's an actual TV listing. I think I saw this on Reddit or something a while ago, but <laughs> I, I think
0: it's worth reading for the podcast. It's because, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. No, I really enjoyed that. It reminds me of the tweet that came out after uh, election day. It was something like, wow, this episode of Black Mirror is f- terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if everybody knows what Black Mirror is, but it's, uh... But it's fucking terrifying. Yeah, it's, it's uh... What, are, what would you call it? It's like sci-fi, kind of alternative reality. Of I like, would say it's view- exactly what that TV listing should have been for. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, so the next thing, I want to talk about Trump's inauguration
1: bands. This is uh, this is actually my favorite thing yeah. of, of today. Uh Let's, let's let's bring it back to 2008. We have a, a newly elected Barack Obama. And the people that headline Barack Obama's inauguration are Bruce Springsteen, uh, Beyonce, Kelly Clarkson. I made up the last one. But he Steve, brings Stevie in... Wonder. Stevie, Stevie Wonder. Stevie yep. Wonder. He brings in the big... Brings in the big guns, you know? Yeah. It, Artists it, love Barack Obama. It, he's probably the coolest president we've ever had. I've never seen a smoother president um uh, but with Trump there there's been a really interesting phenomenon now you have to think that there is a concert that is going to be played in Washington DC where it's expected that almost a million people are going to attend and then on TV another probably 10 million people are going to tune in and there is a president of the United States asking people will you play my concert that I am having right before so we go from Obama. At his inauguration,
0: he has Stevie Wonder, Beyonce, and the E Street Band. Excuse me, Bruce Springsteen and e the E Street boss. Band. The boss, there you go. And uh, at Trump's inauguration, we got the B Street Band, uh, Bruce Springsteen cover band. It's just, uh, it just goes to show you how Trump is kind of like pretending
1: to be a politician, just like the B Street Band is pretending to be a real artist. <laughs> they are pretending to be Bruce Springsteen. There you go. Um, the Moby, Moby, the electronic dance music artist from the nineties. Turned down the opportunity to play at the inauguration. Just to give you an idea, the inauguration is estimated to have close to a million people, physical people, show up at the nation's capital. And on top of that, TV views estimated somewhere in the tens of millions. This is the event of the century. I'm going to be tuning in reluctantly. Mike's going to be tuning in reluctantly. My mom's going to be tuning in reluctantly. People are going to watch this, and artists are saying no. He is single-handedly revitalizing the careers of D-list celebrities. So this doesn't make him a job creator. This does. It, it's, the, <laughs> it's the ultimate job creation uh, memo for those that are out of work in the acting community, out of work in the music community, you know, yeah. comics out there that maybe never got any work like me, I would take that show.
0: You know, there's no one that Trump has behind him. Who's going to play as like uh, at the presidential dinners, you know, at the, uh, what, what's the yearly ball they have where like Stephen Colbert performed, they had Keaton Peel a couple of years ago.
1: Oh, you're talking about the White House Correspondents Dinner?
0: Exactly. Who's going to play that now?
1: I have no idea.
0: There's there, there's like five conservative comics.
1: At the same time, I don't know a comic that wouldn't love to do that. Just to, well, I mean, who's he going to invite? He's got to invite somebody thing. who likes him. Does does he have... I thought that was the uh, the White House press corps that got to decide... Um, or rather, the White House Correspondents that got to decide who was speaking. I didn't think that was necessarily... So the, because the press- Colbert... Yeah, Colbert spoke and, and ripped on Bush and Cheney. Okay, I I think you have something there. Where like, how is he? He would never. Sit- He's gonna bring
0: in Tommy Laren as a comic.
1: <laughs> She's just <laughs> gonna like
0: roast everybody else. Like, it's not how
1: it works. He would never sit there, especially in that position. He's like a Dwight Schrute in the fact that like, he can't he can't take abuse from someone that he views as not the same level as him and at this point he's the president of the united states so no one's at the same level he couldn't take a reporter from the wall street journal that was disabled or i'm sorry from the new york times that was disabled talking anything bad about him this man does not there's no level that he will not stoop to fight someone that you know, socially, physically, demographically is not at the same level that what that he is. And I, I again, I you know, we talked about Meryl Streep last week. She brought that up in our speech. And it, it's I think it really reigns true. He there's no there's no one too small to pick a fight with for him. Well, He's got to respond to every criticism. I mean, if you're talking about the idea that he's going to respond to people who are below him, Meryl Streep's at his level in terms of like at least close, you know, but he didn't respond to her as much. I mean, he wrote how a how about a tweet. Yeah, he was a little scared of her, I think. He yeah. hasn't responded to this podcast yet, so clearly too big for. Uh, I, think, I think we're too big for Trump. Probably too scary because I mean we control the spin here. He can't get to us. No, we he can read can't. the tweets. Well, I mean now he knows our address, so uh, he can. He <laughs> that, can was, that was a blunder. Let me tell you. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who Jimmy thinks he is. Just coming in here revealing the address. Yeah, but so, he gave the wrong one. That's also he did give awesome. the wrong
0: one, so throwing him off our trail. Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're going to fifteen
0: thousand Street in yeah. Medford, yeah. It's New York,
1: Medford. Afghanistan, good <laughs> yeah. luck. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I mean, let's go. Trump's Trump's uh, inauguration bands.
1: We got Three Doors Down, which has been called uh, a budget Nickelback. <laughs> uh, we have. Like we just someone really wrote that a budget Nickelback. I uh, I love the idea that Nickelback. We'll source uh, that later. Nickelback is the is like the gold standard of what Three so, Doors Down is doing. Like they're rock. the Coca Cola. What's it called? Bud Rock. Bud Rock. But what is butt rock? You're singing out your butt. Oh, I always thought it was like you're smoking a butt while you're rocking out. I mean, you could, but not like that, man. That'd I thought be, it was way cooler. That'd be
0: like hardcore.
1: Really? Hardcore punk. You think that's butt rock? Yeah. Dude. I see what you're getting at there.
0: All right, thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. This so, we got,
0: it. so we got a budget Nickelback. We got Toby Keith, who's wrapped himself in the did, American flag. And did every we see Toby Keith earlier America. this year? I think that's who it is. Red Solo Cup. Yeah, Red Solo Cup. Red Solo Cup. Made in America. We'll stick a boot in the there. There we go. See <laughs> <laughs> the you, There you go. So we got Toby Keith. And then from there, it just gets absolutely worse. We have a Jackie Evancho. show. We first of got second place on America's Got Talent. You <laughs> couldn't even get the first place winner on America's Got Talent, <laughs> which is a, definitely a failing show at this point. Who's watching those anymore? Um this one's also pretty good. We have Sam Moore, one half of Sam and Dave, who are best known for their cover of Soul Man. So that's like that's like at best like one fourth of an artist there.
1: I'm best known for my acoustic cover of Hey Ya
0: But you're also you sharing that cover with somebody else there. <laughs>
1: um and then we have DJ Ravi drums. Ravi drums, I looked him up. Yeah. He is most famous for and I, I kid you not, he is he is Called himself the Jimi Hendrix of drums. He's an electronic drum player who's most famous for playing, um, I don't know if you guys are even familiar with this, uh, the gaming conference E3, which is just a video game convention that happens every year. Uh, In 2008, they debuted a video game Nintendo did called the Wii. And he is most famous for his drumming on the Wii. (laughs) That's pretty much it. Yeah, he plays beats
0: over electronic music. That's it. And then uh, we'd already mentioned this, but the B Street Band he gets the Bruce Springsteen tribute when Obama actually gets Bruce Springsteen. So he's doing a great job ripping people off.
1: This is like the um, this is like if the Avengers all got killed, and we had to read like comic books or watch movies about like everyone's sidekick. Like this is a this is a compilation of just like Hawkeye and Black Widow esque superheroes. Pretty much everyone who was in Deadpool that wasn't Deadpool.
0: <laughs> That's who we got for his inauguration. All right. So the last thing we want to touch on today is uh, Putin's take on Trump's Pea Party. And I think we got to start calling it that. The, the Pea Party? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Russian Pea Party as opposed to the Boston Tea Party. Oh, I like it. You like dude. that? I like it. All right. So, uh, reported by Business Insider, Putin mocked the claims that were alleged against Trump contained in the dossier, which he described as an obvious fake and nonsense. And He said, Russian intelligence services don't chase every American billionaire, and he added that Trump has been with the most beautiful women in the world, so why would he need prostitutes in Moscow? (laughs) Wait, there's more. Wait, there's more, yeah. He said, Trump organized beauty contests. I find it hard to believe that he rushed to some hotel to meet girls of loose morals, although ours are undoubtedly the best in the world. (laughs) The
1: best. Hands down, drop the mic, walk away. Yeah, Putin's bragging about prostitutes in Russia, so... Well, if you got it flaunted, I don't blame Putin for this <laughs> statement right here. This is um, this is classic. This is this is a statement that Trump models his apologies afterwards. He admits to nothing. Uh, he compliments the person uh, that he either backed to that did something kind of infamous, or he talks himself up. And then at the end, there's a push for "I didn't do it," but if I did it, it would be the best. If I had done it, it would have been the greatest
0: thing that it was ever done. Everyone would have loved it. The pea party was the greatest pea party. There was so much pea. The Putin yeah. Pea Party. I love this dude.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um fantastic. Is that an admission that this is real? Also, uh, he starts off by saying the the Russian government doesn't uh tap every American billionaire. No so, Mark Cuban Mark Cuban, no. Mark Cuban, no, Robert Hercheveck, immigrant ties what do you think no 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 what about laurie grenier i don't even know who that is did you watch shark tank i really don't watch shark tank is that <laughs> is that all the billionaires on shark tank? that's, that's they're not me? even billi- like not even all of them i think mark cuban's the only billionaire on that show but well, hey, uh, hey look i just want to say great show today yeah thanks for tuning in yeah, episode for 14 tuning in. in the books um you know shout out to our listeners be on the lookout for bigger guests in the future yeah. We got some surprises for you. Oh, we can surprise. You may or may not be surprised, but they're surprises. Hey, to play us out, we have a treat from Jimmy. Um, it's It's a little dated at this point because I realize it's January, but it is... Uh, it's the, still the Christmas season. It's. I'm in the Christmas spirit, and in honor of the inauguration, we have the 12 Days of Christmas with Jimmy Tingle and Donald Trump. Take it away, Jimmy. Hit it.
2: On the first day of Christmas, The president sent to me A scholarship to Trump university On the second day of Christmas, The president sent to me Two Russian hackers And a scholarship to Trump university On the third day of Christmas, The president sent to me Three bankrupt casinos, Two Russian hackers, And a scholarship to Trump university On the fourth day of Christmas, the President sent to me four liberals crying, three bankrupt casinos, two Russian hackers, and a scholarship to Trump University. On the fifth day of Christmas, the President sent to me five right-wing judges, four liberals crying, three bankrupt casinos, two Russian hackers, and a scholarship to Trump University. On the sixth day of Christmas, the president sent to me six billionaires in the cabinet, five right-wing judges. Four liberals crying, three bankrupt casinos, two Russian hackers, and a scholarship to Trump University. On the seventh day of Christmas, the president sent to me 71% false statements, six billionaires in the cabinet, five right-wing judges. Four liberals crying, three bankrupt casinos, two Russian actors, and a scholarship to Trump University. On the eighth day of Christmas, the president sent to me, eight swamps are draining, 71% false statements, six billionaires in the cabinet, five right-wing judges. Four liberals crying, three bankrupt casinos, two Russian actors, and a scholarship to Trump University. On the ninth day of Christmas, the president sent to me nine harassment lawsuits, eight swamps are draining, 71% false statements, six billionaires in the cabinet, five right-wing judges, four liberals crying, three bankrupt casinos, two Russian hackers, and a scholarship to Trump University. On the 10th day of Christmas, the president sent to me 10 climate change deniers, 9 harassment lawsuits, 8 swamps are draining, 71% false statements, 6 billionaires in the cabinet, 5 right-wing judges, 4 liberals crying, 3 bankrupt casinos, 2 Russian actors, and a scholarship to Trump University. On the 11th day of Christmas, the president sent to me. 11 years of unpaid taxes, 10 climate change deniers, 9 harassment lawsuits, 8 swamps are draining, 71% false statements, 6 billionaires in the cabinet, 5 right-wing judges, 4 liberals crying, 3 bankrupt casinos, 2 Russian hackers, and a scholarship to Trump University. On the twelfth day of Christmas, the president sent to me 12 angry tweets an hour, 11 years of unpaid taxes, 10 climate change deniers, 9 harassment lawsuits, 8 swamps are draining, 71% false statements, 6 billionaires in the cabinet, 5 right wing judges, everybody, 4 liberals crying, 3 bankrupt casinos, 2 Russian hackers, and a scholarship to Trump University.